This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. There is a long history of aging liquor at sea. Starting in the 16th century, brandy and later whiskey were often transported in barrels on ships to their final destination, and the movement of the ship on the waves was believed to have accentuated and improved spirit. But aging whiskey on the road has been a far less common occurrence until now. US whiskey brand Whistlepig have released their roadstock rye where barrels were placed on what could best be described as a rolling rickhouse and driven along Route 66 across America. To better understand the journey, we talked to blender Megan Island and distiller Mitchell Mayha about taking whiskey on the road and what changes it makes to the flavor of the blend. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. What gave the idea of taking your barrels on a joyride? Yeah, so that really started, came out of COVID, actually. So during COVID, everyone had to stay home, no trips anywhere. So we were stuck at home for over a year. So we ended up making a variation on our farm stock called Homestock that allowed a group of our fans to blend a whiskey from home. And then some of the COVID rules started to let up and people were able to travel again. It was more within the United States and road trips became so popular that our next idea or our next concept was why not try and send the whiskey on a road trip? We figured it'd be a really cool time to test and see what a road trip would do to our whiskey. Take us along and tell us where the barrels actually went. So the barrels started in Shoreham, Vermont at our distillery. And the day they got loaded in, it was a overcast, chilly day. I was in a sweatshirt and pants and was pretty chilled even while wearing that. And then from there, they started to drive along Route 66 and then continued past Route 66 to drive to Paso Robles, California, to Firestone Walker Brewery. And then from there, started the return trip back to Vermont. The cross country, both ways, a really cool trip that uh, we actually were able to have Mitch go a lot. So you went with the barrels part of the way, Mitch? Yeah, I didn't get to leave Vermont with them, but I caught back up with them a little before Arizona and then from Arizona through California and then out of California. How many barrels actually made the trip? Uh, so we were able to load 80 barrels on the truck. Uh, So 40 of them were Jordan wine. They had a great red wine barrel that they sent to us. We were super excited to finish in and ended up making a big impact on our final product. And then we also sent 40 barrels of our rye, five-year-old rye, over in the truck as well. And they were just in the normal American oak, were they? Yes, correct. I believe it was a Char 1 American Oak barrel. Now, when the barrels actually 
got to California, that changed up a little bit, didn't it? Yeah. So when we got to California, we actually uh, took the whiskey out of the rye barrels themselves. And then Arthur Walker was so kind as to give us barrels that they had aged beer in. And so we put the rye whiskey right back into those barrels. And so the return trip was the Jordan wine barrels and the Firestone Walker beer barrels to finish the whiskey in. And how long was that entire journey? How long did it take to do the round trip? Um, it was about two and a half weeks. The longest part were the couple of stops that we stopped in Passerelles at Firestone and then also at Redford Racing. Now, talk to us about the Radford Racing. What made you think to do a pit stop there? So that whole, or at least just because part of the whole idea of just like alcohol and being on the road took us back to a like Prohibition era mindset where it was really the birth of modified cars, fast cars. So we actually bought ourselves a Dodge Hellcat and took it one step further by aging or taking aged whiskey and using it to make racing fuel for the Dodge Hellcat. What made you think to do that? It was just just like a natural progression of almost like in for a penny, in for a pound, where if we're going to really take this to the next level, then like we should use whiskey to fuel the Hellcat. For sure. It was just one of those things where, okay, we're taking a road trip. We're stopping at a racetrack. We're trying to involve whiskey and cars together as much as possible. So why not try and fuel a car with whiskey? Has anyone ever fueled a car with whiskey before? The Not that I know. People have used, or like fuel companies have used like ethanol-based fuels, but we're the first ones that I know of that have used aged whiskey, especially to make that happen. And I'm assuming it worked? It did work. So it was a mixture. It wasn't pure aged whiskey that allowed it to run, but we were able to to make it run. And I wasn't personally there. I did hear the smell of the car. Yeah, the, the exhaust <laughs> had a pretty cool unique smell to it from the, from the whiskey fuel. That would have been quite amazing, I imagine. Yeah, it definitely was. I'm glad I was able to uh, get there. It's pretty hard to describe them. Picture like a more floral exhaust it's really fantastic <laughs> now have you guys kept the hellcat are you going to race it so i don't know about race it per se but we still have the hellcat and uh, you can see it drive around the country from place to place yeah so i was able to see it we had a sales retreat in las vegas this year that i went out to to go talk to the sales team a little bit and the hellcat made an appearance there so i know it's working its way around and we definitely still have it I imagine with a lot of your customers, that would be a very cool thing for them to go and see. Yeah. What better than race cars and whiskey? Yeah. <laughs> and were you guys aware of any whiskeys or bourbons that had done a similar style of trip before? Yeah. So we, had a, we haven't heard of anyone who's done a road trip like this. There's been a lot of what we refer to as dynamic aging that's been going along in the industry. So there are some People have put it on boats again and different styles of dynamic aging, but we hadn't heard or we haven't seen anyone who has taken a, a road trip such as this one. So it was a really cool experience to be the first people to try this. Now, were there any special modifications that you needed to make to the truck to ensure that the barrels were stable? We didn't have to make any modifications to the truck. We definitely took some precautions. 
all of the barrels were palletized and then strapped onto their pallets, but also then strapped to the sides of the truck. Uh, so we definitely took what would have format the truck to hold barrels. We took some precautions to make sure the whiskey would get there safely and also back. It's precious cargo. You got to make sure it can make the entire journey. What did you think would happen to the whiskey when you did this? I think part of it was really just, we weren't entirely sure. I mean, you know, we have an understanding of like how temperature swings affect whiskey, how barometric pressure affects whiskey, different humidities, this, that, the other. But we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. We expected like a more advanced aging profile that like we couldn't replicate in a lab. Yeah, it was cool for us. We're going into it as the first people doing this, really trying it. But we did know that from those temperature changes, from those pressure changes, and just from the shaking of the liquid, that we were going to be pulling flavors out of the wood faster than normal. We just weren't sure exactly if that meant specific flavors would come out faster or how it would work. Do you think it was more the movement or the change in temperature that have actually affected the liquid? I think you can make an argument either way, but nonetheless, there was definitely a ton of movement and then very wide temperature swings throughout the entire journey. There are also pretty big pressure swings as well because we were driving through the Rockies and deserts and all the different environments. So we had the movement, the temperature and pressure change all kind of affecting how the liquid was moving in and out of the barrels. We talked about the effect that you were hoping that the journey would have on the whiskey. When the whiskey got back to you, was that what you found? Yeah, so that was super interesting. So not only were we the first people to really age on the road, but as far as I know, we're the first people to try and blend a wine finish and a beer finish together. So from the flavors on the road, it definitely aged quicker than what I've seen in my warehouse before in those two types of finishes. I think it, it, it pulled the same flavors. I think it just happened in a much faster pace than it normally would. A wine finish for me can be anywhere from six to eight weeks most of the time. Like I said, this one happened in about two and a half weeks just for comparison purposes. Was that quite ambitious doing both a wine and a beer and the journey and everything all at once? Yeah, you can't, you don't want to go halfway with anything. If you're going to commit, you should go all the way with it. Try and really push innovation here at Whistlepeg. And we are constantly doing unique and interesting finishes. So we thought, what, why not? <laughs> How different do you think would the taste have been if? the barrels hadn't gone on the journey would it just have aged more slowly or yeah i think for the most part it would have just have aged more slowly so at two and a half weeks it would have still just tasted mainly as whiskey instead of getting in some of those wine the sweeter notes and that some of the ale finishes that you get from the beers I think for the most part, it, it was a speed thing. The finishes did come out pretty close to what I was expecting, but just at a much faster pace. Once they arrived home, talk to us about the blending. Yeah, so me, me and Mitch worked on that together on this end. Uh, super interesting process. Uh, I guess it was very similar to our normal kind of process. with A lot of trial and error. Well, but, figuring out each whiskey's leg. 
highlight flavors and like what you really wanted to showcase for that, for what we pictured to be the final whiskey. It's some, so making the blends and at different proportions and, and what will really allow that wine to shine and that beer to shine. Which is more dominant in the final blend, the wine or the beer? Honestly, I feel like it depends on who you ask, but we try to basically showcase both as equally as possible. Yeah, so to me, when I drink Roadstock, I really get the wine finishes up front. The sweeter notes come through on the nose and at the front of the palate. But the finish and what the flavor that kind of sticks with you is the beer. Makes for a really interesting drink as you, you work your way through the finishes as you're drinking it. Now, was blending these different from creating a normal blend? It definitely was a little different for me. I normally don't blend different finishes together. We do a lot of single finishes here and specialty finishes, but we're not necessarily blending finishes. So it was a lot of fun to see how they balanced each other and what it did when we put the beer in at this percentage versus the wine in at this percentage. And it was a cool experiment from our side to to play around with and figure out what really made each finish shine. And is that something that you'll continue to do? It's definitely a possibility. Now that we've done it once, I wouldn't... I really like the result. I wouldn't mind doing it. <laughs> I said, yeah. I don't have to twist my arm. I suppose you could experiment with different types of beer and different types of wine to... Yeah, and those definitely have a huge impact. A, a red wine finish versus a white rat wine or an ale versus a stout. All of those have a huge and different impacts. So it's definitely something that we could mess around with and come out with a totally different product on the other side. Now, if people are used to drinking your rye expressions, what would they find different? What can they expect from the taste of this one? So I feel the wine really delivered some sweeter notes. Almost. To me, they always come across with almost like raspberry cherry. Like the beer delivers like this nice sort of like soft dominance with some like bacon spices. Just those flavor notes by themselves. We don't have those in any other expression in our portfolio. Yeah. And compared to some of our 10-year flagship product here is a big, bold, spicy rye. That's what it's known for and what it's seen. And some of these finishes mute that rye flavor and bring out some of the other notes that you don't necessarily always see in the 10-year. Yeah. Really showcase like the versatility of rye as a whiskey base. Will the Roadstock be an annual release? I don't know that Roadstock will be something that we do again, but like you talked about before, we definitely learned some really cool things from this. So maybe some other blended finishes or some other specialty, things like that could definitely come out from it. But if they want to send me on another road trip, I'm not going to stop them. <laughs> now, would you classify this as purely a sipping rye or do you think that it could work well in cocktails? We always like to say there's necessarily no wrong way to drink a whiskey. I think that being said, me and Mitch would, would argue over this a little bit. Personally, I think it's wonderful by itself. Like, it really has a lot of character, a lot of nuance all by itself. doesn't really need anything else added to it. Yeah, which I, I agree. It, it, it's absolutely a great drink on its own. But I'm also a big fan of a whiskey sour in general. And it really does complement the flavors within a whiskey sour as well. The idea of having the liquid travel is quite romantic. Was that your aim when you started? Yeah, so that was part of it, right? We're, we're in this 
stage right now where travel is so regulated and not allowed and to be able to put something on the road and give it that special journey. Most people right now want to be able to go and take a journey was definitely part of the idea and that romance behind the idea for sure. Did you guys document where the whiskey went? So for example, do like little postcards that you could send to your customers? Yeah, we do know the the towns that travel through for sure. Unfortunately, because of COVID, originally we were going to have it stop at a bunch of places along the way and be able to have different setups along the road trip. But we do have a record of every town and every place it went through. So that's something that we could potentially use in the future. What has the reaction been to the blend so far? Yeah, we've gotten some really positive reactions and reviews. Everybody is loving the whiskey, is loving how you can really pull out the different flavor profiles from both the wine and the beer. And then, like you said, the romance of the story. I think everyone's just really connected to that journey right now and that road trip, and they're super excited about it. Did the journey itself surprise you guys in any way? I don't know if I necessarily, I expected some sort of advanced aging. But outside of that, I wasn't really sure what I was going to get. I had a wish list of things I wanted to get. And then this whole process didn't like, I wouldn't say throw curveballs at me, but definitely surprised me and gave me some unique notes that I didn't think I was going to get. Yeah, so I just don't know. I mean, I knew it was movement. I knew there was temperature change and all of that, but I wasn't sure how fast it was really going to be rapidly aging it. So when it showed up, I I was here to unload the trucks. I had my sample bottles out and ready the second they came off the truck. I really wasn't expecting it to be as advanced as it was. So I was pretty excited as I was pulling the different samples that I was getting some of those stronger flavor profile notes that I normally don't get until that six or eight week point. Part of the practicality of going to Firestone Walker to get the barrels was that they were dumped hours before we had gotten there and then immediately put rye whiskey right back in them. So it's basically the freshest you could have possibly gotten those barrels. And I think that has more to do with flavor notes than maybe time, perhaps. It's an experiment I'd be willing to uh, take on, though. (laughs) Okay, because the barrels didn't travel empty to you, that affected... Yeah, so when you're dumping beer barrels, you've got to be really careful about some different like infections that can happen within the barrel and also the oxidation that can happen with the beer in the wood. And so the freshness of them really does have an impact on the flavor profile and was something we were super excited about. Yeah, Firestone Walker was really great about helping us out with that whole process and really giving us basically the precious of the fresh you could possibly get. I believe that you topped the bottles with little miniature rubber tires. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah, we did. Once again, you can't go halfway with any of this. I think that was when I had my first prototypes for those show up. Everyone immediately wanted to start making model cars out of them. But again, something super cool and unique here is that we were able to mess around with our toppers. Normally, we have a wooden topper on top of our corks, but we worked with our supplier and came up with with a rubber tire design that worked and looks super cool and helps tie the whole story together. Yeah, the whole fire bottle really pops because of that. So our, our label is also in the shape of the United States. So it's all these little touches that bring the bottle together and really help tell the story. Do you know where this expression is available? 
Yeah, so this expression is available throughout the United States and all 50 states, but it is a limited edition. So you got to run out to the stores and grab it. There are, I believe we did 10,000 cases of it and that's it. So it's definitely a, a limited edition and a special blend for us. All right, look, we might leave it there. But guys, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about your barrel's journey. Of course. Thank you so much for having us. And if anyone wants more information, they can, of course, go onto your website. Yep. There is a link on the website that allows you to reach out and ask questions. So feel free. Or alternatively, connect with uh, you guys via your socials. Yes, definitely. We have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all, all of those as great options as well. Excellent. All right. Look, thank you both. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailsdistill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.